first part of our reading today, um, it's quite long, so I split it into two parts, um, comes from 2 Kings 5, verses um, 1 to 14. Now, Naaman was commander of the army of the kings of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded, because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Now bands from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, If only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means, go, the king of Aram replied. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten sets of clothing. The letter that he took to the king of Israel read, With this letter I am sending my servant Naaman to you, so that you may cure him of his leprosy. As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robe and said, I am, am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send me someone to be cured of his leprosy? See how he's trying to pick a quarrel with me? Then Elisha, the man of God, heard the king from Israel had torn his robes. He sent a message saying, why have you torn your robes? Make the man come to me and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went to went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, Go, wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Are you not Abanad and Farfar? the rivers of Damascus, better than any of the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. Naaman's servant went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God had told him, and his flesh was restored and became clean, like that of a young boy. In our evening services at the moment, we are following a series on what it might mean for us to be a healing church. And we've looked at a number of psalms as we've explored that subject. Michael took us through Psalm 139, and we reflected on how God knows everything about us. The God who created us knows us inside out, and that perfect knowledge of us is the basis for our confidence and trust in him. Claire explored the place of forgiveness within healing as she looked at Psalm 51. We looked at the multiple problems affecting the author of Psalm 38. And last week we considered how important it is for us to listen to people's stories of trauma as we thought about Psalm 137. Next week, as as Anita leads worship, there'll be an opportunity for us to receive prayer ministry for healing, should we, we feel we wish to do so. 
But this week we're taking a break from the Psalms to look at one of the most famous stories of healing in the Old Testament, the story of Elisha healing Naaman, the Syrian commander, the commander of the king of Aram of his leprosy. Though commentators agree that Naaman probably wasn't suffering from what we know as leprosy, probably something more akin to eczema or psoriasis. In any event, whatever his condition, he's healed of it. We stuck to the Old Testament in this series, rather than looking at the theme of healing on the basis of the many great and miraculous examples of healing we find in the New Testament. Why have I done that? Partly because I think there was a feeling we wanted to approach this subject gently and cautiously. In consultation with our pastoral group, we agreed we wanted to approach the subject of healing from the perspective of thinking about healing as wholeness at a number of different levels, not just thinking about it as, a, as an instant cure for physical ail- ailments. And I suppose I was cautious, wary of giving the erroneous impression that healing is guaranteed and instantaneous as long as you say the right words with the requisite amount of faith. So far, looking at the Psalms, we've explored different prayers to God, crying out to God for healing. Tonight, we look at a clear example of God healing somebody. Shows us quite clearly that God could and did heal in Old Testament times as well as in the New. But there's no prayer uttered, strangely, on this occasion. Though Naaman expected that would be what would happen when he turned up on Elisha's doorstep, complete with his vast retinue of servants and his very generous gifts, calculated it working out like something that 340 kilograms of silver and 90 kilograms of gold, of which Elisha refuses to accept a penny. But Naaman expected there to be a bit of ceremony about this, that, that he would turn up on Elisha's doorstep and Elisha would come out and, and welcome him as an honoured guest and, and, and wave his hand over the spot and, and say some great words and there would be a dramatic moment when Naaman would be healed and it would be a glorious event. But it didn't happen. Naaman had those expectations because he was a man of high social standing. It would have been a common courtesy to come out and greet him. He's described at the beginning of the chapter as a great man in the eyes of his king, someone who was highly esteemed and respected on account of his many military victories. It was true that he was coming as a petitioner to the prophet, but he'd brought enough silver and gold to make Elisha rich beyond his wildest dreams. Naaman was a man who was used to being treated with deference and respect, and he expected to be treated with honour. But Elisha actually is quite rude to him. Doesn't bother coming to the door himself. Just says to his servant, go out. Tell him to wash seven times in the River Jordan, and that will sort his problem out. Naaman is not a happy man. His dignity has been insulted. His expectation was that there would be this kind of greeting and prayer and and something dramatic, calling on the name of the Lord, waving his hand over his skin to make him whole, but instead he's merely sent away. And in his eyes, the River Jordan was little more than a muddy backwater 
when he compared it to the majestic rivers of the city he came from in Damascus. He's insulted, he's offended, and he storms off in a rage. There is actually a huge amount of posturing from all sorts of angles in his narrative. When the king of Israel receives the letter from the king of Syria, rather than reading it as a straightforward request to heal his servant, he, he sees it as an attempt to pick a quarrel with him by demanding the impossible, a, an attempt to, to dishonour him, to put him in the wrong. No, for sure, he says, he's just looking for an excuse to pick a fight with me. And Elisha, when he hears that the king of Aram has written to the king of Israel, says, well, what are you asking him for? Why, why didn't you come to me? Uh, why have you got all upset and torn your robes, he says to the king of Israel, just to send him to me, and then he'll know that there is a prophet in Israel? Underlying all this is, is a question of jostling for status. The king of Israel thinks that the king of Syria is trying to humiliate him by asking him to do the impossible. The prophet Elisha is offended that the king of Israel didn't just send Naaman to him. Since it's obvious that he is the Lord's prophet, he is the one the Lord would use to heal Naaman. Naaman turns up on Elisha's doorstep with the degree of ceremony that befits his exalted status, only for Elisha to topple him off his pedestal by sending his servant out to tell him to go and wash in the lowly river Jordan. Had it not been for the wisdom and restraint shown by his servants, Naaman would have stormed off back to Syria in a rage, uncured. But his servants reasoned with him. Come on, they tell him. If the prophet had asked you to, to perform some great or, or difficult or heroic task, wouldn't you have done that? So why, when he asks you to do something dead simple... Why don't you do, just do what he says? What have you got to lose? Well, nothing except his pride, I suppose. But Naaman sees sense. He goes and washes seven times in the River Jordan, as he'd been told, and when he comes up for the seventh time, his skin has been restored so that it is as smooth as that of a child. He's healed. And more than that, he comes to faith. Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel, he says. He had no real faith in God before he was healed. For him it was a transaction. He should be able to buy the prophet's services with the generous gifts he brought with him. And perhaps had Elisha done as Naaman had expected, waving his hand over the spot and calling on the name of his God, Naaman might have concluded that Elisha had healed him. As it was, the healing took place in Elisha's absence. And as Naaman bathed in the river, he was left in no doubt that if he was healed, it was the God of Elisha, the God of Israel, the Lord who had healed him. And so for him, healing happens at more than one level. He's cleansed. He's restored physically. But also, he comes to faith. And that's the important element of God working healing. There is that sense of, wow, this is, this is God doing this. The reality of God and his grace and his healing power. 
And it says, when Naaman came up out of the water, his skin was cleansed, that it was now like the skin of a young boy. And the attentive reader who's been following the narrative closely might be reminded that it was a young girl whose testimony it was sent Naaman on his quest to seek healing from a prophet in Israel in the first place. And the same adjective is used of the boat. It was a young girl who said to Naaman's wife, why, why doesn't Naaman go and see the prophet in Israel? I'm sure he'd be able to sort him out. This little girl who'd been captured in one of the Syrian raiding forays into Israel, assigned to work for Naaman's wife, had the faith, the simple trust to God, and say, well, if, if he were to go to Israel, I know a prophet there who could heal him. And, and, and the adjective that's used of the young girl is used of, of Naaman when his, his skin was restored like that of a young boy. Knowing what happens to the skin of teenage boys, it's likely actually that this was a, a boy who was not a teenager. Uh, the, the smooth skin of a, of, a, of a primary school boy or a little boy, which means correspondingly that this was a little girl. She would not have been 10 years old. She was quite young. But just to have the courage and the insight and the simple faith to say, my master, there's a prophet in Israel who could heal him. And intriguingly, that the, the word adjective translated young here can also mean unimportant or insignificant. And you can understand how a word carries that additional connotation. If you're little, you don't amount to very much. And she didn't amount to very much. She was of no consequence or significance at all. She'd been captured in a raiding party. She was a slave whose sole purpose was to wait on the wife of the great and noble commander of the army of Aram, the valiant soldier who was so highly regarded. In comparison to him, she was a nobody. But this little child believed that her master could be healed by the prophet in Israel and spoke the simple words of faith that sent him on his journey. And maybe it was precisely because she was a slave in the couple's home that she got to see what Naaman contrived to keep hidden from so many other people. That skin disease, which was a source of, of discomfort to him and shame, were it to be publicly discovered that he was suffering from this. It was a profound discomfort to him and a source of social stigma. And what motivated the little girl to say that? I can't think of any other motivation than concern and compassion for the family she served as a slave. A real desire that my God could do something for this man. My God could make a real difference to him. And so she told her mistress that there was a prophet in Israel who would be able to heal her master. You know, reading about this young girl, I'm reminded of what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, verse 25, when he prayed and thanked his father for revealing to little children things that were hidden from the wise and learned. Because then there's Naaman and all his, his, his expertise as a soldier. There are the kings. There's the prophet standing a little bit upon his dignity and honour. 
and there's this little girl who has the insight to say, actually, yes, the prophet in Israel could do this because that's who my God is. And my God is concerned for my master. And Jesus also said, didn't he, that we all need to turn and become like little children ourselves if we want to the kingdom of heaven, want to enter the kingdom of heaven. Because whoever humbles himself like this little child becomes greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Can I switch to this mic, please? Francis, thank you. And Naaman only received his healing when he humbled himself. He had to swallow his pride. He had to go and wash in the River Jordan. And he emerged from the water a changed man in terms of his physical health, in terms of his understanding of God, and in terms of his attitude. There was a real sense in which he had to abandon his pretensions to status before God could work in his life. And so when he came up out of the water, he was like a little child in more ways than one. Yes, his skin was smooth now, like that of a young boy. But that was because he'd been prepared to make himself of no account, to humble himself, to wash in the River Jordan, and to become like that little girl whose simple faith had sent him on his quest in the first place. Yes, I know now that this is the only true God, the Lord, the God of Israel. And there are lessons for us here. With God, we gain our lives by losing them. It's only as we humble ourselves before God that God is able to work within us to change us and bring us the healing that we need. And who's the great person in this story? It's not the king of Israel who panics when he gets the message from the king of Aaron. It's not Naaman. It's not even really Elisha. The great person is this little girl, the person of no account, who, although she was a slave, was motivated by such a love and concern for her master that she suggested he go and find a prophet in Israel who would be able to heal him. And so Naaman goes and finds not just the prophet, he finds the one true God who humbles him and heals him and saves him. And as we explore this story to see what lessons we might learn from it as we consider what it might be, mean for us to be a church where, where people find God's healing, it's clear that it can't be about us. Oh, Brighton Road is the church to go to because that's the place where God heals people. No. We need the three things that characterised this little girl. Humility, compassion, and faith. We might feel led to lay hands on people and call on the name of the Lord in prayer, but Naaman was healed by God, the God of Israel without Elisha doing any of that. His journey to physical healing, a changed outlook on his life, and a new faith in the living God 
came about because a little girl who counted for nothing in the eyes of the world spoke out of a deep sense of compassion for him and faith in God. And as we pray for each other, and as we minister to each other, as people in the grace and the goodness and the mercy of God find a measure of wholeness and healing and acceptance and restoration and new life here, it will be as we treat each other and as we pray for each other in humility and in compassion and in faith. It's not about the person praying, it's about the needs of the person being prayed for. It's not that we want to appear wonderful, it's a sense of compassion that, that God wants to do something here. And faith. Just come and say, Lord, in your compassion, in your sovereignty, in your goodness, in your mercy, would you do something for this person? Would you release your healing love and power into their lives and restore them. And then it's for God to do what he will do. And as we come next week and we worship together and we gather in the presence of God and there's an opportunity to receive ministry for healing, that is the spirit in which we come. The spirit in which we seek to exercise all our dealings with each other. In humility. In compassion. And in faith. To be like that little girl who sent name on his, on his quest. To be like the little children that Jesus said we needed to become. To enter the kingdom of heaven. And for God to reveal his will and purpose to us and in us and through us. Let's pray. Let's think for a moment, what, what do we need to abandon and give up in order to turn and change and become like a little child? Lord, there are so many things that give us status and significance. There are so many ways in which we can feel important because of who we are and because of what we do. You called us to set all those aside and become like little children. Give us the grace to humble ourselves as Naaman did. Help us to descend from our pedestals. Enable us to, be to turn and become like little children. And as we humble ourselves before you, would you make, yourselves, make yourself known to us? 
and in us and through us as the one true and living God. The God who gently and lovingly restores his people. Who brings us healing and wholeness of mind, body and spirit. The God of our salvation. Amen.